Well, we certainly have been through a wonderful 2020, haven't we? Certainly have. I tell you, you know, this is a good service this morning. Just so grateful that uh, I'm able to bring God's Word today to you, whether you're sitting here. I've got a great crowd this morning, but also at home as well. And didn't Hunter do a great job this morning hosting us for the very first time? And um, we do have a wonderful youth ministry and some wonderful youth ministers and also um, lay leaders as well. We appreciate them so much. We want to turn to Revelation chapter 2, and we're going to the seven letters and seven churches, as Hunter told us just a few moments ago, and going through a series of messages called Seven Questions for Overcoming 2020. And for some of you, 2020 uh, got worse this week, and uh, I understand that, and uh, I know that, <clears throat> you know, I, I look at it, and Man, the, you know, sadness set through, and then I, I got through that, and I got upset about things and angry about things, and finally, I just figured out the Georgia Bulldogs deserved to lose yesterday. So anyway, got through that. <clears throat> well, we have to let y'all win every once in a while. Sort of be like the, kind of like a rivalry like Vanderbilt if we don't uh, watch it. But anyway... No, I don't want to. You know, we're, we're in a series of messages and on this, and I know that um, I got an article this past week about people going through election fatigue or depression or whatever, and a lot of you were disappointed this week, and so you wonder to yourself, where do you go from here? And one of the things I've noticed on Facebook and people have been telling me and reminding everybody is this phrase, God is still on the throne. Now, the question is, do you really believe that? Do you believe what David said when he said, yours, O Lord, in the, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you've exalted his head above all. Both riches and honor come from you and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. God is still on his throne. Do you believe that today? Amen. Do you believe it? Tell me you believe it. Well, some of you do, and so here's my question to you. Then what are you worried about? Do we really believe it? Do we really live as though we believe the things we profess that we believe? You know, I know that our beliefs really determine our behavior. It determines our life. It determines what we fear in life, our security in life. In fact, if you want to know, as I've said before, what is really on the throne of your life, you have to ask yourself, what are you afraid of losing? What are you afraid of? And so while we say, God, I believe that God is still on his throne, do we act that way? Do we live that way? Do we have that faith in that? As we look in the scripture, we've been asking ourselves some questions to get through 2020 in a victorious way. And I've said before in the beginning of this series, we cannot dictate what goes on on the outside. We cannot say that 2021 is going to be any better than 2020. I don't know. You don't know. No one can look into the future and tell that. But there are questions we can ask ourselves on whether 2020, the rest of it, or 2021 
is going to have a positive effect in our life because we can control what goes on in the inside. So we've been asking ourselves questions. Who do you love? What do you fear? And this week, what do you believe? And so as we open up this uh, book of the Bible, Revelation is really known for the end time events. But actually there's an outline here in the book of Revelation that's, that tells us what the book of Revelation is really about. Chapter one, the things that you have seen. The resurrection, the, the vision of the resurrected Christ that John saw on the Isle of Patmos. Now John is about 90 years old. He's at the end of his life, end of his ministry. He spent time going on missionary trips and journeys and spending time at different places. And one of the places where he pastored was Ephesus right there in Asia Minor where the seven churches resided, including the, the church at Ephesus. And so he's now exiled on the island of Patmos because he preached the gospel and the Roman government just had enough. And so instead of killing him, they put him on this island because God, of course, protecting his life because he wasn't finished with John as yet. And he had a vision of the risen Christ, chapter one. Chapter two and three, he says, write the things that are. Those are the seven letters to the seven churches in modern-day Turkey or Asia Minor. Now, you can imagine getting this book, and you're the church at, say, Thyatira that we're going to be looking at this morning. And you're thinking to yourself, now, wait a minute. I can read about what went on in Ephesus. I can read God's evaluation of Smyrna. Can they read our evaluation in Thyatira as well? Well, the answer to that is yes. There were seven churches that originally got this letter. So you can imagine God evaluating, Jesus evaluating the churches and knowing that here, right here at Cross Life Church, uh, they are going to know at Northland all about our church if they got the same letter, which they would have. And then Aloma would know about our church. And then uh, Faith Assembly and First Baptist Church of Chuliota would know all about our church. And so this is personal that's being something personal that's being made public. And in these questions, we looked at who do you love? That's the church at Ephesus. And today, what do you believe? Because Thyatira believed right. Let me just say that right off the bat. They had the right beliefs, but they were allowing compromise. They were compromising in their church because they were allowing false doctrine within the church. So did they really believe what they said they believed? So three questions this morning in this passage. Number one, I'd just like to ask you if you really believe the living word, that is Jesus Christ, the real Jesus. Do you believe then in the written word and do you believe that he's gonna keep his word? Three simple points. Look in verse 18, do you believe in the living word? And to the angel, or the pastor of the church at Thyatira write. Now Thyatira, we've been studying a lot about the bigger cities and these important cities. Thyatira was not important at all, really, as far as a city is concerned. They were a manufacturing type of situation where they, they made purple stuff, this special purple dye that was very expensive. And so they were kind of a blue collar a suburb, you might want to call it, a Pergamum. And so not a lot went on there. There was a lot of idol worship there, but not a lot. It wasn't a big town. It was sort of like maybe Oviedo when I first got here. I don't know if a lot of you know this or not, some of you that have moved here recently, but when I moved here, my wife and I moved here 27 years ago, the Burger King wasn't even open yet. All we had was a Dairy Queen and not the new one. It's the one way over here off Division Street where it turned into a Tasty Freeze and then, I, I don't know, a, 
uh, a beauty shop, something. I mean, this turned into all kinds of things. There was nothing here, a very tiny town. And one of the things that challenged me was to allow to, to preach to the people and allow them to really grab a hold of what God was going to do here and do something great because we were such a small town. We weren't, we weren't Orlando. We weren't even Winter Park. You know, this used to be something of just pasture land and, and places where they had celery fields. I mean, what can God really do in Oviedo? But he's done a great work. The same was true in Thyatira. Small town. But the most, the longest letter, the longest letter written in the book of Revelation to any church was written to the smallest church. And so I think that's significant because God says there's no, there's no church, there's no Christian that's insignificant. All of us are significant. So he's writing to this church and, and as he writes, he gives them a picture of himself as he did in every single letter. He says, the words of the son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Now he's saying three things about himself. Jesus said, I'm the son of God. This only place in the book of Revelation that, that, that is, he's called that and calls himself that. Then he says, I'm the son of God, so I rule over everything. Not only that, I'm deity, but also I have eyes of the flame of fire and feet like burnished bronze. So what does all that mean? As we said before, every time Jesus describes himself, it didn't come as a surprise to the apostle John. Because as John was writing this book in chapter 1, he saw the risen Christ, how, how he is today. He described him, and then Jesus comes back and describes himself to each church in a different way based upon chapter 1. So let's look at it really quickly since we haven't done so already. We, we can find in verse 12, because you ask yourself the question, what is Jesus like now? Is it like Ricky Bobby, you know, in that movie, you know, I like the baby Jesus, you know? Is it, oh, no, he's the one that fed the hungry and healed the sick? Or is he the one that died on the cross? He's the, is he the Savior Jesus? Let's look at the reigning Christ. Then I turned to see the voice, verse 12, that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands standing for the churches. And in the midst of the land stands one like the Son of Man, clothed with a long robe and a golden, golden sash around his chest. That speaks of the fact that he's king and also a high priest as well. Both of those things saying he's a priest for us. He's ever praying for us. He's ministering to us. But he's also the king as he rules not only us but over the universe as well. And he says in verse 14, his hair was, his hairs were, and his head were, were white like wool, like snow. Now this is what John was seeing. He didn't know how to describe it. But it stands for the purity of Christ. Then his eyes were like the flame of fire. Exactly what, how he's described at the churches at Thyatira. And these eyes symbolize something special. It was shooting. It means in the Greek they were, they were shooting eyes. Shooting and penetrating the hearts of everyone. Jesus Christ can see into the motive. He can see into the heart. He doesn't miss any act of service. He doesn't, doesn't miss anything that you do in kindness for one another. He misses no sin. He can, do it. he can evaluate. He can judge the churches because he sees everything. Then he says, his feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. Burnished bronze. In the Bible, it's something when you interpret the Bible you find that you can interpret the hard passages with the easier passages. Because in the Bible, if you trace it back, burnished bronze or bronze period is always a symbol of judgment, a symbol of evaluation. 
Some of you might remember the story in Numbers chapter 21, fascinating story about the nation of Israel falling into sin. And God in his punishment said, look, there's going to, you know, you didn't repent. I've given you chances. Uh, There's going to be snakes on the ground. You would think it was Florida, snakes on the ground everywhere. And when they bite you, you're going to die. And that's exactly what happened. Serpents, they were called. And so uh, Moses went to, to God and said, look, the people are dying. They're crying out. They're repenting now. They know they've done wrong. And God says, okay, here's what you do to cure them. If they will believe, if they will believe, put a serpent, a bronze serpent on a pole, hang it up in front of the, in front of everyone. And everyone who looks on the bronze serpent on the pole will be healed. Everyone that doesn't will die. It was a symbol, this bronze representing judgment, serpent representing sin, the pole representing the cross pointing to the fact that Jesus Christ would die on the cross, the Savior of the world, and the sins of the world and our sins will be placed upon him, and all we have to do is look. He says, if you look, you'll be healed. If you look to Jesus today, you'll be healed. If you look and trust in him, you will be saved. And those who don't will not be saved. And it was a pointing to the New Testament times, but all through the Bible, bronze. And so you can, bronze is like judgment. So you can see that Jesus is walking uh, actually counterclockwise before the churches. He starts off in Ephesus, goes to Smyrna. He's in Pergamon, now Thyatira. And as he's there walking among the churches, his feet are like burnished bronze, evaluating them, the good and the bad. Notice here we find the compliment. Well, first, let me finish this because it's, it's really good stuff here in verse 16. In his right hand, he's had seven stars, From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. That is the word of God. Come back to that in just a moment. And his face was like the shining sun in full strength. We'll come back to that in just a moment because everything that you find here in his description of Jesus Christ in the church comes at the end as a reward. When I saw him, what in the world do you think John did? When I saw him, when I saw him. John MacArthur tells a story about... uh, a guy coming to him and saying that he had seen Jesus. He said, Dr. MacArthur, have you ever seen Jesus? He said, no, I've never seen him in person. He said, well, I've seen him. He said, well, tell me about it. And he said, well, I was shaving. And I looked into the mirror and I saw Jesus, the face of Jesus. You know, that's fascinating. What did you do? And he said, well, I, I, I just kept shaving. I don't read that in the Bible. I read, first of all, when I, you remember when Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, great story. He's seeing the vision of the Lord, and the Bible says he fell down on his face and said, Woe is me, for I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, a man of sin, and I live among a people of unclean lips. You find in the Gospels, when Peter was fishing and he had caught uh, such a big catch, he couldn't get it all into the boat, he turns to celebrate with Jesus, and he fell down on his face before God, he says, depart from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. And here you find, what, what does John do? He says in verse 17, I fell on my feet as though I were dead. It's an awesome thing. Awesome thing to have a vision of the risen Christ. It's so awesome, he can't even describe it all. And he says, he says to us, he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not. Fear not. Are you in fear today? He says, I'm here. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive evermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. 
of death and hell. He says, you don't have to fear. I am, I am here among you. And he's walking among the churches. And we can see in all of this, in all of his splendor, he's saying to us, look, I, I'm, just, I'm not the baby Jesus. Baby Jesus is great. I'm not the savior Jesus in the sense of one who died on the cross. I did that. I rose again on the third day. I'm now sitting at the right hand of the Father ever to make intercession for you. I'm there with all power. I'm there as a ruler of the universe. And this is a Jesus, dear friend, that's in control and you can trust him. You can. And then, you say, well, now, wait a minute. It's not that simple. I do trust God, but after all, it's not about belief, Pastor. I, I just take issue with you. Because what, I trust God. He's on the throne, but wonder if the economy gets bad. Wonder if I lose my job. What if this happens to my family? Wonder if things don't, I trust him, and things don't go the way that I want them to go. Well, do you believe do you believe when it says in Romans 8, 28, for we know that all things work together, together for the good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose? Do you, re, do you believe Hebrews eleven six, 6, where it says he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him? And that is what faith is all about. You not only believe that God is, but you and I believe that in the end, in the process, he's going to reward those who are faithful to him. So it is about belief. But see, it's not just believing in this real Jesus because you don't know who the real Jesus is until you not only believe the living word, but the written word. Notice it says here, it says, the sharp two-edged sword. Look back in our text. He says, the sharp two-edged sword. And this two-edged sword is the word of God. The Bible we shared that with you. Listen, last week we talked about the, the, the sharp two-edged sword with the, the word of God. Let me remind you, dear friend, that you don't know who Jesus is unless you have a communication tool. You can say, no, I know who Jesus is. He came into my heart. He changed my life. I saw this vision, that vision. I think I ought to do this. I think I ought to do it. You know, and all kinds of false doctrine that you, you're teaching yourself and you know it's not right because it's diametrically opposed to the Bible. Do you believe the written word? I don't know anything about Jesus. Anything except my experience with him unless he communicates that to me. And that's so important. If God wants to have a relationship with you, it depends on communication. If you want to have a relationship with your spouse, you've got to, you've got to communicate. You want a relationship with your, your, your mom, your dad, your, your teenager, your child. It must you must have communication. And he's chosen to give us communication. He says, you want to know about me, I'll tell you about me right here in the Bible. You want to know how to be saved, I'll tell you how to be saved. I'll tell you how to get to heaven. It's right here in the Bible. And without that, then we have just a God who wound up the world and like the deists say, and just took off somewhere and we don't have a relationship with him anymore. There's no way that that would happen because there's no way that would happen and Jesus still come, die on the cross for us, be resurrected on the third day, ascend up into heaven, and right now has a vision before John and says, this is who I am today ever to pray for you, ever to minister to you and be here for you. Do you believe the written word? Well, he says this in the written word. And this is easy to believe. He says, I know your works. 
You have love and faith. That's on the inside. Love, we all know what that is. Faith here is the word pistos, which means more faithfulness. I know your love, and your love has resulted in service for me. I haven't missed a thing that you've ever done. And he says, not only that, but he says, your faithfulness has resulted in patient endurance. Two things on the inside, two things on the outside. And these are compliments to this church, and they're good things for this church. And if God were to come here today and evaluate us, I hope and I believe he would find a loving church. I believe that, and I I hope that anyone who walks in to these doors or even tunes in on the device at home, that they would sense that there's, there's love here for God and for others as well. I hope the ministry we do says the same thing. And I hope that during all the trials and troubles that we go through, God would find us faithful. But he says, I have a complaint, at least against this church. And what is that complaint? He says, but I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman, Jezebel. Well, we talked about her a few weeks ago when we talked about the story of Elijah. Jezebel, one of the most wicked people in the Bible ever. Nobody, as I said before, nobody ever names their, their daughter Jezebel. And in the South, when you, want, you know, when you hear one woman maybe talk about another woman or whatever, it's like, oh, that Jezebel. That, that old Jezebel, you know. I've heard that all my life. And who is this lady? Well, she was an idolater. She brought Baal worship in to um, the nation of Israel when, when she married Ahab. She was a foreign queen. She came in. She reigned with Ahab. And she was, she was awful to the people of God. Awful. Raised up prophets of Baal. When Elijah challenged the prophets of Baal after the drought that God brought on the nation of Israel because of their sin, 450 prophets of Baal fell that day. And she came after Elijah and he ran for his life. He was so scared of her. But this woman's probably not named Jezebel. I don't believe that's true at all. It's a symbol, as much, many things in the book of Revelation are. He says she has the spirit of Jezebel. She calls herself a prophetess. It's not that she's a prophet. She just calls herself a prophet. And is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. Now you say, well, no, no church really does, encourages that today. But let me say, say this, the Thyatira, one thing that it didn't have were, were guilds, which is mo- like modern day unions. And they would throw these feasts and it, idolatry would be involved, sexual immorality in that idolatry and temple worship would be involved. And she was encouraging that because that, that fed the pocketbook of the people in the church. They would get more business because they were there with in that party, those parties with those other people. And so she was encouraging this. And of course, it went on all during the year under her tutelage because if it was all right during the temple worship, it was all right the other times as well. Notice in verse 24, it says the deep things and some call the deep things of Satan. You've heard about the deep things of, oh, that's a new truth. That's a deep thing of God. Let me share this with you. 2,000 years of church history, scholars, people who know the Greek, know the Hebrew, know know theology, have written and written and written and things have been built upon. If anything after 2,000 years comes out new, it's probably not true. I I, I just simply cannot fathom. Now, I'm not saying a a, a new insight to old truth. 
I'm talking about new truth comes along. And suddenly everybody goes after that. It's false, false doctrine. And God warns about that. He says, be, Jesus said, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Second Peter talks about the last days, but those false prophets also arose among the people just as there will be false prophets among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Even in our higher institutions of learning today, of the doubt that's placed upon God's word. I'm not even talking about Christian schools at all, just schools, period. And it says in Colossians, Paul warns us, see to it that no one takes you captive. Captive, think about that for just a moment. Captive by philosophies and empty deceit, according to the human tradition. Things can seep into the culture, and then that culture comes into the church. And instead of, as we walk through all the mud, instead of our, the mud getting shoey, the shoe gets muddy, as we said. And false doctrine rub, rubs off. And therefore, it leads us away from Christ. Now, in Georgia, we have this thing called kudzu. I don't even know if it's here in, uh, in Florida or not. But we have kudzu, and it grows up on walls. And it grows everywhere. And at first, people kind of like it. Wow, look at this, my lattice work. And it's got all this kudzu on it. But boy, if you don't get control of that, it'll take over your garden. It'll take over your lawn. It'll take over everything. And you can't get rid of it. Kudzu is like false doctrine. When you have false teaching away from God's word in the church, it works. It works like kudzu and destroys everything in its path. We talk about extreme things like uh, David Koresh, who was, uh, became part of this cult movement, moved to Waco, Texas, took over the cult, changed his name. His actual, if I can just, uh, just uh, have a little cheat sheet here for just a moment. His name was Vernon Howell, actually, originally. And he moved to Waco, Texas, joined this cult, took over the cult, and after a while, changed his name to David, meaning that he was of the lineage of David. And Koresh, which was one of the, the kings of Persia in the Old Testament. And so he called himself a king, and also in the direct line of David, there was sexual immorality going on behind those walls. All kinds of um, uh, situations with children. FBI came in, they tried to arrest all those people, and they, they burned themselves. 54 adults died, 28 children. All because of what? A man decided to imprison people with chains? No. He taught them the doctrines of demons, a false doctrine. And it meant their demise. That is so true. You look in the church, uh, the, the theological liberalism in our nation today, and we, I, I said 20 years ago, we're just following after the nations of England and, and Europe and, and, and Europeans, particularly Germany. And that's happened. And only 2% of the people in Europe today even go to church. And we've gone from, what, 40% down to 20% even before the pandemic? We see the false doctrine creeping in. And I bring all that out because we need to understand what is going on in this church. It's, it's the punishment that's about to take place. And I think that we need to understand that because there's, there needs to be a deterrent to false doctrine. And God says, yes, I'm going to make an example out of him. He says, I gave them time to repent. Notice that in verse 21. Hey, look, I, I gave them time, plenty of time. But she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I, I throw her onto a sickbed. This is symbolic of what happened 
uh, in reality with the actual death of Jezebel in the Old Testament. In 2 Kings, a man came to, uh, to get her or to, to arrest her, to kill her. And she came out on the balcony all dressed up because she wanted to just kind of celebrate his death. But he looked up to the balcony and says, who is on my side? And her own guards threw her over the balcony onto her death, her sickbed. And so we look at this and we see, well, God is going to take Jezebel out of the way. But then we find also, unless she repent of her works, he says, I will throw her into the great tribulation. And the great tribulation is about to happen in Revelation chapter 4, unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead. What does this mean? Well, the children here are not little children. They're her disciples, those who follow in her doctrine. Why would you do something like that? This is just a horrible commentary on God, you say. Until you realize, as we said before, life is measured by time. So when you take somebody's life, everybody's going to die. So when you take somebody's life, you're taking away something that's very precious to them, time. You're cutting their life short. But God says it's appointed once for a person to die and after that the judgment. So God has already, God gives life. God takes away life. You don't know when that life's going to come. You don't know when that life's going to go. But when you're infecting the lives of other people, he'll take you early earlier than what you could have gone. And that's what was happening here. The judgment of God. He said that it's going to bring sorrow. He's going to be sick, sick bed, suffering, and, and sorrow. And we see this in, in the trusting, not trusting of God. So do you, do you trust in the God's word? And you say, again, pastor, I, I trust in his word, but what if things don't work out? You know, I think that we need to help God. That's why politics, pastor, is so important because without it, you, you just really can't help God along. The Bible says in Psalm 2 that God is ruler of the universe and he, he turns kings, the heads of kings actually to the right or to the left. Don't be guilty of losing confidence in the gospel. The gospel is what changes people's hearts. So it takes too long, it just takes too long. Yeah, we'll say that to what, David Hume? with the humanistic philosophy of the 1920s and getting into the public school system, you say, well, but man, that took 60 years for it to happen. Yeah, but it happened. What if we were to be a church in revival and reaching people for Jesus Christ all around us and knowing that it was going to change their life on the inside and their heart and their kindness and their love toward other people? How would that spread all throughout America and all throughout the world as it has in many countries, as it has in our country in the past and change people's lives. Don't lose, are we losing confidence in our own gospel? Well, then lastly, do you, do you believe that God keeps his word? And I got to finish up this last uh, section very quickly. He says, but to the rest of you at Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what's what some call the deep things of Satan to you. I, I do not lay on you an, a, another burden. God's not trying to burden us. Only hold fast. Just hold on. Hold on through the tough times. Be faithful. And until I come, the one who conquers, there's a promise here, who gives my works until the, keeps my works till the end, to him I will give two things. One, authority over the nations. One day in the millennial reign, Revelation chapter 20, those thousand years that God is going to reign, Jesus Christ is going to reign upon the earth. We will be reigning with him. 2 Timothy tells us in another uh, verse that has really nothing to do with the second coming. He says, if we endure, he will, we will also reign with him. 
Revelation 22 and 16 talks about this as well. Then it also talks about the second blessing. And he says this, I will rule over them with a rod of iron and earthen pots are broken in pieces even as I myself have received the authority from my father and I will give unto them the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches, the morning star. Remember what we said in Revelation chapter one just a few moments ago. He said that, uh, he said, you don't need to fear. He says, because his face was like the sun shining in full strength. It's like the sun he says, I'm going to give you this morning star, Revelation 22. Jesus Christ is the morning star. I'm going to give him to you in all of his glory. He's going to brighten the darkest days of your life. Listen, I know it's tough to lose some, something or someone or something that you love and it's a gift from God. You know it's a gift from God. But boy, now that you've got it, you don't want to give it up. I get it. I get it. It becomes our source of freedom, our source of security. But he says, look, you give that up, I'm going to give you a bright and morning star. I'm going to give you something that you've never dreamed of before. Not only brighten your darkest days, but I'm going to give you Jesus in all of his fullness. I remember sitting in a church in Bogart, Georgia, and we had a... uh, Revival going on. And uh, I think it was the, a, a little revival thing right after a vacation Bible school. And the preacher got up and gave the plan of salvation. I remember my sister, my older sister, going forward in that service. And, uh, you know, I was looking and I wasn't paying that much attention. All I knew was the pastor was calling people out to follow Jesus. And then my mother went forward and rededicated her life. A lot of tears were flowing that night in a lot of people's lives. And my dad was just sitting there, standing there during the invitation. And I turned to him, I was right beside him, I said, "Uh, what are they doing? And they're saying, well, they're calling people to follow Jesus, that believe in Jesus. And I said, well, well, dad, don't, don't you believe in Jesus? Because he wasn't following Jesus at the time. He is now, but not then. And I could tell the look on his face, but he, he was being as good as he could in the situation and mumbling. He said, I do believe, but I just guess I don't believe that strongly. I know you believe, but do you believe that strongly in the real Jesus? God is still on his throne. You say you believe that, then then what's the problem? See, the problem sometimes is what we said last week. You got to vote. You got to vote on a person. And that person is Christ. Because if you want the, the security, if you want to know the morning star, the real Jesus and believe in his word, you've got to take Jesus. A friend of mine, uh, James Merritt, Tells a story in, in Rome, Roman times. There was this man that, that passed away and he left all of his fortune to his slave, Marsalis. And it was a sizable fortune. The son showed up, the reading of the will. And the father said, I give all of my goods to my slave, Marsalis, my servant. Except I will give one thing to my son. Anything that he wants. One thing. And without hesitation, the son said, I'll take Marsalis. 
Because when Mar Salas, he got everything else. Would you say today, I'll take Jesus? I'll take Jesus. Because with Jesus, you get everything else. With the heads bowed and eyes closed, that's the prayer of your heart today. You say, I know I need victory in my life. And I know I don't need to be just running uh, and, and basically surrendering to the circumstances of life. My feelings depending upon everything that's going on on the outside. I need salvation on the inside. And you want to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. I want to invite you right now to make that decision. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to pray a prayer with you. And as I pray it, it's something like I prayed many years ago. And the words are not a magical potion, but rather it's just a suggested word from your heart for you can call, so you can call upon the name of the Lord. So would you pray with me right now if that's your prayer? You can pray silently or out loud as you repeat after me. Lord God, I thank you for sending Jesus Christ to die on the cross for my sins. I open up my heart and I ask you to come in. I want you to forgive me, Lord, and I ask you to forgive me of all the things that I've done, all my sins. And I trust you with my life. Help me to believe in you, in you, not just about you. As you come into my life, give me that victory. Let me know that you're there, even as I finish this prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.